Good morning. Thank you to the halls for doing music. Whenever I hear Hark the Herald Angels sing, I think of Steve, because a couple years ago the kids did some songs, and somebody mentioned that you had written some of the songs, and somebody said, which songs? And you said, Hark the Herald Angels sing. So I always think that's the song Steve wrote. Uh, we'll be in Genesis chapter 3. We'll actually be in a few different passages, but Genesis chapter 3 is where we'll start off this morning. I want to wish everybody a happy early Merry Christmas. Lord willing, we'll be in Ohio next week, so please pray for safe travels and good weather, and I pray the same for anybody else, especially for people who are traveling or who might have family traveling in. Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and again, we thank you for this season. It's a season of celebrating that the Christ has come into the world. Lord, we rejoice in that. We praise you for that, Lord. We thank you that we have a Savior who has come for a perfect life that he lived, for the death and resurrection that he endured and experienced, Lord, so that we could be made right with you. Lord, we pray for our time today as we study in your word. And Lord, we just we pray for this church, we pray for this congregation. Lord, we, we thank you for everyone who's here today, Lord, that, again, we just continue to grow and to follow you, to love you, Lord, and to love your people. In Jesus' name, amen. In the 1680s, a mysterious medical condition began to work its way through the ranks of the Swiss military. The condition caused insomnia, fatigue, irregular heartbeats, indigestion, and fevers. For those most severely afflicted, they had to be discharged and sent home. Johannes Hoffer was a physician who had examined some of the sick and realized that the underlying condition of these symptoms was not physical. It was psychological. They were homesick. In 1688, Dr. Hoffer gave a name to what plagued the soldiers, nostalgia. To be fair, these were surely not the first people who had ever experienced nostalgia, but it was the Swiss doctor who had given it a name. For a long time, nostalgia was treated like a health issue that need to be, needed to be cured. The Swiss army would use threats of physical violence in order to force people out of being nostalgic. Others suggested leeches and stomach cleansing. After the American Civil War, a doctor named Theodore Calhoun suggested shaming and bullying nostalgia out of people to help them snap out of it. In recent decades, a lot of research has been done into nostalgia. Most people experience it, ranging from a couple times a year to the more typical three to four times a week. Certain places can give us feelings of nostalgia. Perhaps if you go back to the church where you grew up, or the place where you grew up, or places where you've traveled. Music can give us powerful feelings of nostalgia. 
you hear certain songs and it's like they take you back in time to when you were a younger person. Smells can be very nostalgic. Cigarette smoke always makes me think of my grandmother's house. The smell of freshly cut grass or a certain type of food or salt water can take us back to distant times and places. Nostalgic triggers don't necessarily recall memories themselves, but they recall positive emotional associations. People from all over the world experience nostalgia and experience it in similar ways. While nostalgic feelings can sometimes be bittersweet, we tend to have positive associations with our nostalgia. We're a week away from Christmas. Christmas is practically the season of nostalgia, steeped in traditions. Songs, the same songs that we've heard for decades. Foods we eat at Christmas time, some of them that we only eat at Christmas time. I've never gone to somebody's house in the middle of July and they're baking and I say, what are you baking? And they say, gingerbread cookies. Why? Because they're not very good. But we have nostalgia with them. The same decorations that we put up every year, often in the same places every year. The same movies we watch, traditions we have with our families that become sacred. Most people love Christmas. And I'll just speak for myself. I feel like I get nostalgic for Christmas when I was a kid. When the season felt even more magical to me. And while I still love it, it's never quite felt the same as it did in other seasons of my life. Perhaps some of you can relate. And I feel like I try to get that back. I try to get that Christmas feeling back. But it so often eludes me. And perhaps that keeps me from enjoying the present Christmas season and trying so hard to get back the feelings of Christmas's past. Because we can chase nostalgia. It's why some of us buy items that we had when we were young, or why some of us buy things that we could never afford when we were young, but we can now. Nostalgia is homesickness. It's the desire for other times and other places when things seemed right and where we didn't have the stresses and worries that we're dealing with today. But we can never quite get back there. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And for Lewis, he saw a spiritual aspect to nostalgia. In his sermon, The Weight of Glory, Lewis said, Our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside, is no mere neurotic fantasy, but the truest index of our real situation. And so for Lewis, he saw nostalgia as man trying to reconnect with our true home. But we can never quite perfectly get there in this world. Lewis says, if we are made for heaven, the desire for our proper place will be already in us, but not yet attached to the true object. And that gets a little bit philosophical. But his point is that we have this innate desire for heaven in the world. 
but because we're fallen and the world is fallen, we can never quite capture the thing we're looking for. That we have a sense of true good and true beauty, and nothing in life perfectly captures that. But we have this sense of nostalgia for what we feel we've always been meant for. And it's because this world and this life is not the pinnacle of our existence or what we were ultimately made for. Lewis talks again of our sense of this place that eludes us. He argued that if we were truly made for a transcendent and infinite good, quoting Lewis, and speaking of this desire for our own far-off country, which we find in ourselves even now, I am trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you, the secret which hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia and romanticism and adolescence. Our commonest expedient is to call it beauty and behave as if that settled the matter. The books or the music in which we thought there was beauty the books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust them. It was not in them, it only came through them, and what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself, they are only the scent of a flower we have never found, the echo of a tune we have never heard, news from a country we have never yet visited." End quote. We're continuing in our Christmas series, Christmas in Genesis, this morning. And in today's passage, we visit the subject of exile as we see it in the aftermath of the first sin. We see a Savior who will himself be born into exile to bring redemption, and we see the heavenly hope that we have through Christ our Savior. And we'll look at today's passage in three scenes. First, we see an exiled world. It's the end of Genesis chapter 3. As I just said a moment ago, the fall has already happened. Last week, we talked about how there was a glimmer of light given in Genesis 3.15. The Lord promised a fallen Eve that an offspring of the woman would crush the serpent. But there are still consequences for sin. At the end of Genesis chapter 3, it says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever... Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so they are removed from the garden. And in a world that is now fallen, all of humanity is born into exile. We are all born outside of paradise and live as wanderers in a fallen world and search for the true home that the Lord has made for us. There are lots of places where we look to find this true home. I talk often about idolatry, things that we search out, success, money, reputation, just to name a few. And the reason why we search these things out 
It's because we think that they'll be the things which make us feel at home in the world. But what the Bible teaches is that it's something that only the Lord can give because only the Lord can bring us to our true home. And so we otherwise keep wandering and searching for things that never deliver long-term. There are things that can make us happy for a season, but which will not satisfy what the human soul is ultimately looking for. Perhaps it shouldn't be such a surprise that exile becomes such a major theme in the Bible, that an exiled humanity continues to find its way into exile. We see it with the Israelites. Large swaths of the Old Testament revolve around Israel being exiled from the land. We see it most famously in the Exodus wanderings. But then we see it later in the Old Testament when Israel loses the promised land and goes into exile in Babylon. And even with the advent of Christ, we see a Savior who comes into the world that he created, born as an exile. And that'll bring us to our second scene, an exiled savior. Exile plays out in the life and ministry of Jesus. If you were here with us last year at Advent, we looked, among other places, at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. I won't get into all of that today, but I want to focus on just a part of it. That genealogy at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew links Abraham to David, and then David to the Babylonian exile, and then it traces the lineage during the Babylonian exile to Joseph, and ultimately to Jesus. Matthew specifically mentions the deportation to Babylon. Even from the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, it's linking this idea of exile. While exile is over and Israel has returned to the promised land, Jesus is born at a time when Israel doesn't control that land. They're under Roman authority, and the Israelites are exiles in their own land. Now that genealogy in Matthew's gospel is going from Abraham to David to the exile, but what it's also doing is showing us the succession of kings of Israel. It's the royal lineage which leads up to Christ. He's the king. He's the true king. But in Matthew's gospel, there's already a king in the land, Herod. And he doesn't want a competing king in his kingdom. And so what do we see in Matthew chapter 2? Joseph and Mary take the newborn Jesus out of the land and into Egypt. He goes into exile, Matthew 2, verses 13 to 15. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And so we see Jesus as a young child literally going into exile for his own safety. We continue to see themes of exile during the ministry of Jesus. In a passage dealing with discipleship, Jesus talks of how he's without a home. Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 and 20. 
a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And the point of that isn't that Jesus never has a place to stay, but it's that he doesn't have a true home in this world because he left his home to come into this world. Man was banished from Eden because of sin. Jesus willingly left heaven to return man to Eden. In the Gospel of John, on the eve of going to the cross, Jesus told his disciples of the place he was preparing for them. John 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus went into exile so that he could bring us to our true home. And that'll bring us to our third scene, a redeeming Savior. I've talked about exile in Matthew's gospel, but Matthew's gospel also shows that Jesus brings redemption because he is ultimately the true Israel. As I've already said, Matthew's genealogy links Jesus all the way back to Abraham, that he is the true son of promise, Jesus goes into exile in Egypt. As the Israelites came out of Egypt in the Exodus, so too does Jesus. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. In the Exodus, the Israelites are baptized when the Lord parts the waters of the Red Sea for them to pass. Israel was collectively referred to as God's son when the Lord spoke through Moses to let his people go. Exodus 4, 22 and 23. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. In Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus as the true son of God. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years. In Matthew 4, Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. In his temptations, Jesus responds, each time by quoting from the law of Moses. When Israel was in the wilderness, they grumbled about food. When Jesus was tempted with food, he said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Moses was given the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount, where he's not receiving word from the Lord, but he is authoritatively speaking as the Lord. As the Lord fed the Israelites with manna, Jesus feeds multitudes. As the Lord made a covenant with Moses, Jesus makes a new covenant with his blood. As Israel was founded on 12 tribes, 
Jesus calls 12 apostles to found his church. He is the true Passover lamb. He is the true tabernacle that represents God's presence with his people. He is the true priest who brings man to God. He is the true sacrifice that atones for our sins. And as he went to the cross, Jesus would face the ultimate exile, where Jesus endures the wrath of God and bears the weight of our sins. He went into exile at the beginning of his life. He was exiled at the end of his life. Jesus faces exile so that we can have redemption. So much of life is spent looking for the things that we think will bring us peace and fulfillment. We all have this sense of nostalgia for a place we've never been. And no activity, no success, no accomplishment, no amount of money will ultimately bring it. Again, there are things that can satisfy us for a moment. I think of when Robbie gets a new toy and how quickly he's tired of it. But even as adults, so often we're not so different. We want to keep moving to the next thing. Things that are not eternal give us momentary joy. Things that are always fleeting or underwhelming or don't live up to the hype. And so we keep searching, searching for true joy and for the things for which we long. And there's nothing in us and there's nothing on our own that can ultimately bring that. It is something that can only come from Christ because he's the only one who can bring us back to the place where true joy is found in the presence of the Lord. Anything else, anything else, and we will just keep on searching, all the while still with that sense of longing, all the while with that lack of fulfillment, all the while with that feeling that something is missing, all the while with that sense of nostalgia to try, to try to get back to a place where we've never actually been. Jesus provides the missing piece because Jesus rescues exiled people because he came as an exile into a fallen world to rescue us. And so this Christmas, let us enjoy time with friends and family, laughter and making new memories, cherished traditions and great meals, but above all else, let us remember that it's the time of year where we celebrate that Jesus came into our world to be an exile in order for him to be our savior. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a savior who has come into the world. It says in your word, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Lord, that Jesus became man so that we could be redeemed as fallen men. And Jesus is Lord so that he could be worthy to be sacrificed for our sins. And Lord, may we trust in him and his truth and walk with him and live for him. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.